ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. This is Ignition. Welcome to Ignition, a radio show and podcast for the new evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and we want to launch your own efforts to explain the Catholic faith and to invite others to live it. Before we get into today's topic, we want you to know that we love listener feedback. So if you've got questions about today's episode, if you've got ideas for future episodes, uh, please contact us. Two easy ways to do that. You can email us, ignition at sfcatholic.org. Again, ignition at sfcatholic.org. Or you can tweet us at SF Diocese, and use the hashtag Ignition. At SF Diocese, that's S as in Sue, F as in Frank, D, uh, well, falls, I guess, too. Uh, D-I-O-C-E-S-E, and the hashtag Ignition to um, get your tweet to the tweets, the twits who need to read it and reply. That would be me. Um, again, my name is Chris Bergwald. I'm the Director of Adult Discipleship and Evangelization with the Diocese of Sioux Falls, if you've perhaps not listened to Ignition before. <clears throat> and uh, what we're going to be doing, talking about today, um, is continuing uh, a series that, that I began last week on, on how to read the Bible. Um, was it necessarily intending to, uh, to do the part two in this series right away? Um, but just the, the way that I sort of left things last week, I felt like, okay, I want to, want to continue right away. So this is a, an occasional series, which, which we've done some, a number of actually, um, on ignition, uh, this one again, focused on how to read the Bible. So to get some background, I really would encourage you to, to go online to our archives and listen to episode 343 um, when you have a chance. If this is a topic that you're really interested in, I'll give a brief recap here in a moment of, of the ground that, that we covered last week um, before we continue on. So 343 from last week. Also, uh, from roughly a year ago, uh, early 2017, um, one of my guest co-hosts, Renee Leach, and I re- recorded an episode that, that goes through some of the same ground um, within one episode that was 299, uh, entitled Navigating the Scriptures. So um, in episode 299... Renee and I uh, talked about some of the some of the key principles that the church sets forth um, to help us to help us as we're reading the scriptures. Some things to keep in mind in order for us to to really dig into what what uh, God has to say to us through the Holy Bible. Um, and and just one other comment before we continue on, just on this whole idea, really a distinction that uh, occurred to me. I think after uh, recording episode 343, um, the, the first part, how to read the Bible, uh, I think there's a, I make, I've made a distinction before uh, between reading the Bible and praying with the Bible. Uh, they both go together, of course, um, but there is a, a difference of emphasis. Um, you can pray with the Bible as part of your daily prayer. So for me personally, for instance, my daily prayer, um, the, the heart of it typically is reading the uh, scripture readings that are proclaimed at that day's daily mass. So the daily mass scripture readings are the heart of my my daily prayer. And when when I'm when I'm praying with scripture that way, um, it really is more focused on seeing uh, what is the word or phrase that God has to say to me. Sort of doing lexio divina for those of you who are familiar with that meditative approach to to praying with scripture. Um, 
just being attentive to the sort of the personal meaning, the personal application of scripture, um, which is distinct from, of course, you're reading it. <laughs> as, as I'm doing that, I'm, I'm certainly reading it. But but um, when we talk about how to read the Bible, how to study the Bible, the emphasis there, and you should certainly pray with scripture when you're studying it, but the emphasis in reading or studying scripture is more of sort of what is the objective meaning of the text, so the 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 praying with is more what's the subjective meaning the meaning meaning for me um when we're talking about how to pray or how to study it how to read it we're we're starting first with the objective meaning what what does this text mean in and of itself sort of just the reading comprehension if you will of of the the passage the chapter the book whatever it is that that we're reading that we're studying so that's one distinction reading um, uh, and, and praying with the Bible. The other one though, that I, I think would be good to consider is the distinction between reading and, and a deeper study of scripture. Um, in, in, in episode 343, I talked about how, um, uh, the, this series is, was born out, also born out of, of, of day of reflection that we recently offered as part of, um, the work that I do for, for the diocese. Um, and I, th- I think, just my conversations with people at that day, um, you know, it's it's one thing to read the Bible. We're, we're all able to read the Bible. Sometimes with a help, uh, commentary, we can find out more of the depth. But studying the Scripture um, takes takes a sort of an extra level of commitment, um, and that can be intimidating, frankly. Um, just for, speaking from my own personal experience, but also talking to uh, Catholic men and women across our diocese and elsewhere over the years when when we're talking about studying scripture in a more detailed way. That's something where a lot of people feel, uh, again, intimidated, not up to it. And I just want to encourage you, um, uh, along with the church to, uh, to, to, to consider, to pray about studying scripture in a deeper way. This is something, um, that the church, uh, our bishops, our popes have really been encouraging us to do Really, for over a hundred years now, going back to Pope Leo the Thirteenth, he wrote an, uh, an encyclical letter um, on on the study of Scripture. Uh, but in a very particular way, the Second Vatican Council in the early nineteen sixties, um, its document on divine revelation, uh, Dei Verbum, which which is Latin for God's Word, the Word of God. Uh, in Dei Verbum, the the bishops of the Church, uh, together with the Pope, have really exhorted uh, the lay faithful. Um, well, all members of the church, but including in a particular way, the lay faithful exhorted us uh, to not only pray with, not only to read scripture, but to study scripture. And why do that? Um, why take that level extra level of commitment, which which can you know um, stretch our brains a little bit? Why do that? Because it's worth it. Uh, because scripture is this incredible gift that God has given to us. Um, the, yes, it's human authors. We talked about that last week. I'll, I'll mention that again a, a bit here today. But it, it's God speaking to me and to us in a way that he doesn't do anywhere else. Scripture is uniquely inspired uh, in a way that no other text is. We have tradition. We have uh, liturgy. We have the catechism of the church and so on. Um, and they're all true. And they are all, if I could say it, maybe Lower case I inspired, but only scripture is uppercase I inspired. Only scripture is um, 
only with scripture do we find that every word in the original text was intended by not only the human author, but the divine author as well. Um, so, so we should study it because when we study it, um, the, that treasure is opened up, that gift is opened up even more than just a, a, a more simple reading. Um, this is an incredible gift that we've been given. And sometimes it might be hard. It's maybe use it, pushing that gift analogy a bit more. It's sort of like, um, maybe a, a bike, uh, that, 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 uh, we give our, our children for Christmas or, or something else that requires assembly, some assembly required, right? Um, it's worth the assembly. It's worth the effort it takes. Uh, almost every gift is is worth the effort it takes to assemble. And I think the same thing is certainly true when it comes to studying Scripture. Not just, not only praying with it, not only reading it, but studying it in a more in-depth, more detailed way. Um, I really do think that it, that'd be worth your consideration, at least. Um, and I'd say even worth attempting. Um, and, and part of what I do at the diocese, uh, I'm with the diocese and I'm here to help (laughs) pun, uh, firmly intended there. Uh, but that is part of my role as director of adult discipleship and evangelization. So if you're somebody listening to this episode of, or of, of ignition and, and you're interested in really, um, reading scripture or even studying scripture, but you're not sure where to begin and, and, and maybe you still have some questions left after this episode, please again, feel free to, to contact me. Uh, again, the, the the address for Ignition, which which comes to me anyway, is ignition at sfcatholic.org. Or you call, can call the diocesan offices as well um, and, and uh, get a hold of me, and I'd be happy to help. So reading versus studying. I encourage you to consider studying Scripture. So what we talked about last week uh, in episode 343, part one of How to Read the Bible, was just the reality that Scripture is what, sort of what I just said before. Um, in scripture, God speaks to us in a human way. And, and, and we're really just unpacking what the catechism says in articles, paragraphs 109 and following. So if you want to look this up in the catechism at some point, it's online. If you don't have a, a copy yourself, uh, our paragraphs 109 and following. So we looked at 109 last week in the catechism. Again, first of all, scripture um, is God speaking to us in a human way. And then the catechism says, that in order for us to interpret scripture properly, we have to be attentive to what both the human author and the divine author are trying to say. We have to pay attention to what the, the, whoever the human authors were of each of these 73 different books, what were they trying to say in their own time, in their own way? Um, we need to do that to properly understand Scripture in its depth. But we also need to uh, to read Scripture in light of the same Spirit who authored it, as we'll, as we'll read later in the Catechism. We have to be attentive to the divine author and what he's trying to say to us through the, the words of the human authors as well. So those are sort of the two fundamental principles of the church's approach to properly, fully understanding Scripture. Uh, attentive to what the human author intends— and attentive to what the divine author wants to say to us through the words of the human authors. And then we just briefly looked at Article 110. So I want to sort of just pick up right then. We're going to read Article 110. So if you listen to th- uh, episode 343, a little bit of this here at the beginning will be a, a repeat. But I, I want to really unpack um, Article Paragraph 110 in the Catechism and spend a good bit of time with it. So this is what Paragraph 110 the Catechism says. Um, about focusing on the human author of Scripture, human authors of Scripture. In order, to dis- in order to discover the sacred author's intention, 
The reader must take into account the conditions of their time and culture, the literary genres in use at that time, and the modes of feeling, speaking, and narrating then current. For the fact is that truth is differently presented and expressed in the various types of historical writing, in prophetical and poetical texts, and in other forms of of literary expression. So I want to focus here um, on, on the first part of that paragraph. It says that in order to understand what the human authors are trying to say, what their intention is, the reader, you and I, have to take into account three things. The conditions of their time and culture. Secondly, the literary genres in use at that time. And thirdly, the modes of feeling, speaking, and narrating then current. So um, conditions of their time and culture, the author's time and culture. So in other words, we have to take the historical context of Scripture into account. We have to understand um, a little bit about how the human authors at the time that the particular book were were reading, um, how they communicated. Uh, the historical context um, of their time and their culture, as the catechism says. So it's important to keep in mind here that sacred scripture was written over the course of over a thousand years, um, maybe 1500 years even, or even more. Well, probably about 1500 years. Moses is is traditionally believed to be the author, um, the first author of scripture, uh, uh, having written Genesis, Exodus, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible, or at least most of them. Um, so he's the first author. So that was around 13, 1400 years-ish uh, before Christ. And then, of course, the final book of Scripture, um, Revelation, is also believed to be the last one written chronologically uh, by the Apostle John and probably somewhere around 100 AD. So you're looking at about 1500 years, give or take, um, as the, the time span over which scripture was written. All of that some 2000 years ago. So if we really want to understand what the human authors are trying to say, we have to remember that they weren't writing in 21st century um, United States of America, or the way that we write in the 21st century here uh, in the United States. They wrote, they expressed themselves in the way proper to their time, proper to their historical context. And and, and we have to keep that in mind when we're reading because um, there are some things that we might read, and, and if we're reading it too much with our own eyes, um, through the lens of how we express ourselves today, we're going to miss or maybe even misunderstand some of the, the depth and the riches, uh, just the meaning even, of some passages. Now, before I give, an, I'm going to give some examples of what I mean by that, but I, I, I want to make one um, one uh, comment here uh, before I dive into this. I'm not saying that you have to become an expert in ancient Greek or even ancient Hebrew, um, an expert in time and culture of of the ancient Near East in order to understand the Bible. You, we're not saying you have to get a doctorate in scripture study or ancient Near Eastern cultures uh, in order to to in order to get more out of scripture. There are all sorts of resources out there that can help us do that. Um, this is more of just a reminder that when you're reading it, don't assume um, that that just because you understand the words, that the words always will have the same meaning that that they do for you and I today. So, one of my favorite examples here 
comes from the first book of Scripture, from Genesis, um, and, and the story of Noah. Of course, we, the, what we know best about the story of Noah is the flood um, and the ark and so on. But we read after that, near the end of the story of Noah, after the waters have receded, um, and Noah uh, lands with his family and so on. There's this interesting episode where, where we're told that Noah has too much to drink. Uh, he gets drunk. And then we read that his third son, Ham, looked on his father's nakedness. And as a result of that, Noah curses Ham's sons. He curses Ham's sons. Now, that's not just something like not just mad and yelling. At them. He cursed them. Noah curses Ham's sons. What, um, if, if you read that, it seems like, I mean, obviously to, for, for Ham to have looked on his father's nakedness is, uh, inappropriate, um, at, at, at minimum. Um, but, but you might still think, well, that seems like a bit of an overreaction on Noah's part to, to curse his grandsons because his son's just being weird. This is where understanding um, the historical context and conditions of time and culture and the way that people uh, express themselves in different idioms, different phrases, um, is really important. Uh, as it turns out, most people reading scripture maybe don't know this and they've, unless they've done some study themselves. Um, in scripture, or at least in, in ancient Hebrew, for him to look on his father's nakedness is an idiom to say that he 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 raped his mother. Um, it, it's an idiom for maternal incestual rape. And now, when you understand that, it sheds light on why Noah would have cursed Ham's. Uh, so, well, actually, it doesn't yet. <laughs> you understand why Noah would have cursed somebody. Um, because, um, it's not just looking at his, his naked father. It's doing something much worse, obviously. But why, why does Noah, um, curse Ham's sons and not Ham? Because Ham's act, um, this, this act of, of incestual maternal rape was a power play. He's the youngest. He doesn't receive the blessing. The blessing in scripture uh, typically goes, by default, um, it's intended, I should say, it's intended to go to the firstborn. Now, throughout the Old Testament, we, we read numerous times when it doesn't go to the firstborn because the firstborn isn't worthy or does something by which they lose the blessing um, or they lose the right to the blessing. Um, but that's the idea, at least, that the blessing of the father would go to the firstborn son. Ham here is trying to raise up uh, children for himself who would be his, frankly, his, his, his brothers. Um, if he sleeps with his mom and impregnates her, she's going to have children. And this is part of a power play for him to try to take control of the future of the family. Um, again, when we just read Genesis uh, read this story in Genesis and this particular uh, strange episode, we, most of us would have no idea of the significance of that phrase that Ham looked on his father's nakedness and then the and, and then why uh, Noah would have cursed Ham's uh, sons. But when we do understand it in light of, of, of how 
the ancient authors expressed themselves in, in the, according, according to the conditions of their time and culture, as the catechism says, it explains more, helps us understand um, Noah's reaction and the significance of what Ham had done. So again, taking historical context into account uh, is, is, is a key thing to, to more fully understanding Scripture. I, again, you, you could read that passage and still get something out of it and still understand much of it. Okay, for whatever reason, you know, thinking um, Ham simply looked at his naked father and, and Noah curses Ham's sons. Okay, go on from there and so on. And you can still get something, but you get even more when you have the understanding that uh, of, of the idiom of what it means to say they had looked on his father's nakedness. So that's one example. Another example, um, and this, this example comes from Dr. Edward Shree's book, The Bible Compass, which I highly recommend. Dr. Shree um, does something similar to what I'm doing here in this series, um, unpacking what the catechism tells us, how it explains um, uh, the church's approach to understanding sacred scripture. Uh, Dr. Shree's book, The Bible Compass, is a great, very readable resource, short book. goes into a lot more than, in fact, just um, unpacking these principles to understand the scripture. It's really a good introduction to how and why to, re- why to read scripture. So Dr. Shree, in his book, uh, gives the example of an eye for an eye. So we read in the Gospels, of course, and in the Old Testament about how... Um, uh, the Jews believed that uh, the, the justice, the principle, um, you take an eye for an eye. So if you do damage to me, uh, if you take my eye, I'll take yours, so to speak. Um, and Jesus sort of overturns that and says, love uh, your enemy and so on. When we read an eye for an eye, it sort of seems like a code for vengeance oftentimes. Well, if you hit me, I'm going to hit you back. But what we fail to understand, again, not always knowing the historical context for Scripture, is that in fact what we're what what's being said here, um, it, uh, in the in Scripture, is it's limiting retribution, it's limiting justice. Um, if you take my eye, using that metaphor, I can't take your head. Um, it's limiting it uh, retribution. It's limiting how justice is carried out by saying you can't you can't go beyond you know you can't hit back harder if you will. Uh, justice is giving back what was taken. So if 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 uh, justice entails um, retribution of of some sort, the retribution has to be equal to the crime that was committed. It can't surpass what was lost. Um, so that's another example. Of, of how maybe the way that we, we might be tempted to read it is to get an idea of vengeance when in fact it's limiting um, retri- uh, the retribution, that's the word I'm looking for, the retribution um, that, that can be expected when it comes to justice. So that's, that's an example of, of a couple examples of how if we really want to understand the human author's intention, we have to take into account the conditions of time and culture. Um, last week, uh, in episode 343, I talked about, um, genre. So go back, you could go back and, and, and hear the explanation that I gave there about genre, just real briefly to recap. Um, when we're talking about literary genre, we have to keep in mind that scripture, um, is 73 different books composed of different sorts of writing. There's legal texts, there's prophetic texts, there's historical texts, there's, um, poetic texts, 
all these different sorts of writing. Scripture is one book, but it also is a collection of books. It's one book because there's one common divine author, but it's several books, 73 books, uh, and among those 73 books are numerous different literary genres. And it's really important to read uh, when we're trying to understand a particular text. We have to keep the genre of that text in mind. So if it's um, if it's more of a poetic text, we don't take it as quote unquote literally as we would if it were more of a history text. Um, again, I, I go into that a bit more in episode 343 near the end of the episode, uh, just first looking at paragraph 110. So I, I encourage you to go back and, and listen to 343 for more on literary genre. The final point the catechism makes in, in article 110, the, the third um, thing that we must take into account is the modes of feeling, speaking, and narrating then current. The, mo- the way that people spoke, felt, and narrated um, told stories that were then current. My favorite example here is is the Gospels. Um, the Gospels are historic. So we think what their genre. The Gospels are history, um, but the way that that ancient writers told history isn't the same way that you and I tell history today. For us in our time, when we're telling history, it's really important for us to get the chronological sequence accurate. So it's not only what was said and done, but but we really stress. Um, what was said and done in the pro- in the order in which they actually happened. Um, for the ancient uh, writers of the ancient world, at least the ancient Near East, um, like the gospel writers, um, they believed in telling that it was important to say what was done or what was said, but the order in which it's told didn't nece- doesn't necessarily have to always correspond to the way that that really happened. They just want to make sure and get what was done or what, what happened or what was said right. And that's what we see in the Gospels. So some, if you read all four Gospels, um, you'll see that that there are things um, that we read that that are common between the Gospels, but sometimes they're told, quote unquote, out of order. And, and, and that can cause us to question, well, are the Gospels really history? Because um, one of them tells it in order A, another tells it in order B. Well, which is the right one? They can't both be right. Therefore, one of them must be wrong. Therefore, the Gospels aren't true. No, 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 no. You have to, again, you have to understand the, the way that ancient authors narrate, the way they told even true stories, stories of history. Um, they did not, as I was just saying, stress the importance of chronological order the same way that you and I do. So that's another thing to keep in mind um, when we're understanding, when we're looking at, rather, how to understand uh, Scripture. How did they tell stories? And again, good commentaries, and, and, and in a future episode, we'll, I'll, uh, I'll give a bunch of resources, but good commentaries are really helpful to, to, for us to understand, explain to us, um, teach us the, these distinctions, the, the different ways um, that, that the human authors uh, use to narrate the stories that they're trying to tell. So that's Article 110 of the Catechism, um, which is focused on the human author's intention. What we're going to do in, in future episodes in this series of how to read the Bible is look at the, the, the additional paragraphs in the Catechism, which unpack what God wants to reveal us to us through the human author's intention. And that will wrap up, wrap up this episode of Ignition. So uh, feel free to email me, ignition at sfcatholic.org, or tweet at us, sfdiocese, and use the hashtag ignition if you've got questions about anything that I've talked about today. Uh, you can also uh, feel free, though, to share your ideas for future episodes. And until next time, dear listeners, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
Thanks for listening. You can find archives of this and past episodes online at sfcatholic.org. Click on Media and then Audio Files. You can also subscribe to the Ignition Podcast in the iTunes Store. Remember to tune in every Thursday afternoon at 2 p.m. on Lamb Catholic Radio at 91.3 FM in Hartford and 104.3 LPFM Juan Diego Catholic Radio in Sioux Falls and on 88.9 FM in Ipswich and Aberdeen or online at lambradio.com.